4: With deep jawbreaker eyes, red rope hair, gum drop lips, cotton candy thighs, you my candy!
3: Welcome everybody to Podcast 15. We hope you all had great Krampus celebrations this year. We sure did. In fact, we're still feeling the effects of it a bit. Yeah, that's for sure. And we here at SISG want to wish you joy in all the other celebrations in December too. So we're going to have songs from all of them tonight. But that's not all. We're also going to have a Russian Winter's Tale read by Vincent Price.
0: And four famous unexplained December disappearances. That's right. And six Sinister
3: Santas. And the 12 Days of Twin Peaks. Plus more, of course. So get out your mistletoe and your menorahs, your canaras and your yule logs, and celebrate with us tonight.
5: choices this season. You don't want to because we don't want this to be
2: a high pressure situation. This is your holiday. Happy whatever you're having. Wish me happy whatever I'm having too. It's so nicely all in.
6: Soylent Green. It's not in the dictionary. Yet. But in the year 2022 to millions of starving, angry people, Soylent Green will mean life. And Soylent Green will mean death. What is the secret of Soylent Green? MGM presents Soylent Green. Starring Charlton Heston as Detective Thorne. He's got a two-year backlog of unsolved murders. Now he's got a case that must be solved. He must discover the secret of Soylent Green. Charlton Heston, Edward G. Robinson, Chuck Connors, Lee Taylor Young, and Joseph Cotton fight for survival in a race to solve the most bizarre riddle ever to face mankind. You gotta tell them, Soylent Green is... You will learn the incredible secret of Soylent Green. Soylent Green from MGM. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested.
3: Aline Moore is one of the small remote Flannan Islands far off the coast of Scotland. It is rocky and bleak like its brother Isles. But unlike them, Aline Moore has a lighthouse and a dark mystery. That mystery began on December 15th in the year 1900, when the crew of a steamer that was passing the island noticed that no light burned in the lighthouse. That fact was reported to the authorities, but no action was taken until December 26th, when a ship with a replacement lightkeeper and a crew with provisions arrived at that island. No one came out to meet them. The ship's horn was blown and a flare was launched. Still, there was no response. Joseph Moore, the replacement lighthouse keeper, then walked up the steep steps that led to the lighthouse. When he arrived at the top, he found the lighthouse door open and in the hallway, two all-weather jackets were missing. In the kitchen, he found half-eaten food, a stopped clock, and a knocked-over chair, but nowhere did he find the three men who were supposed to be there. The ship's captain then organized a search of the island, but no one was found. No one was ever found. Explanations of wind, Waves and storms were put forward, but none of these completely convinced the lighthouse board or the mariners who plied those waters. The subsequent lighthouse keepers were also skeptical, especially on the long, dark nights when they heard strange voices calling in the wind.
2: Would you like to stay up late?
7: late. Like the
2: islanders do. Wait for Santa to sail in with with your your presence in a canoe.
6: Christmas means many things to many people. To some, Christmas means glittering lights, gaily wrapped gifts. That's right. Sounds of laughter and good cheer. To the folks at Preparation H, <laughs> it means a time to
4: pause for a few moments to <laughs> to give thanks to their friends who've been so <laughs> generous, so from <laughs> From preparation age (laughs) to you and yours, (laughs) very Merry Christmas
8: (laughs) from Coney Island to the Sunset Strip. Somebody's gonna make a happy trip tonight While the moon is bright He's gonna have a bag of crazy toys To give the goners of the girls and boys so dear Santa comes on big He'll come a when the snow's the most and all you catch are sleeping warm as the dust, and you'll come flip when old St. Nick plays his lick on the peppermint stick.
9: Far, far away in Russia, very long ago, there lived a couple who had one daughter. They lived in a log hut on the edge of a huge forest. She was a beauty, that girl. Marusha the Fair, they called her. Her skin was as white as milk, her lips as red as blood, and the hair on her head black and glossy as a crow's wing. And what's more, Marusha was as kind and good-natured as she was pretty. After a while her mother died. Then what did Marusha's father do but marry again? A bad woman she was, the one that he married, and she soon grew to hate Marusha. One day, while the man was out working, the stepmother said to Marusha, I want to make a new spring dress for you, my dear, so you must go and borrow needles and thread from my sister, who lives in the forest for the girl was willing, but she had to ask her stepmother which paths she should take. As soon as her stepmother had begun to tell her, poor Marusha grew pale, for what her stepmother was telling her sounded just like the way to Baba Yaga's hut. Now, as Marusha knew well, this Baba Yaga was the worst witch in all Russia. She had iron teeth, her legs were nothing but bare bones, and she rode through the air in a mortar which she drove along with a pestle. She lived in a very queer kind of hut, too, for it stood on chicken's legs, and whichever way you tried to come up to it, the hut would turn around and stare at you with its windows. What was poor Marusha to do? Her father was working far away, and she did not dare to disobey her stepmother. So she tried to be brave. After all, there might be a real aunt who lived in the forest, and if so, she would have been frightened about nothing. So, thinking she might have a long walk, Marusha packed up some food in a red handkerchief and set off. She walked, and she walked through the thick, dark, beautiful forest. And then, much sooner than she had expected, she came to a clearing, and there she saw a hut. But what sort of a hut? (laughs) You may well ask. The hut stood on chicken's legs, just as she had feared, and it seemed to Marusha that as she came toward it, it turned round to stare at her with its windows. Poor Marusha, However, it did no good to feel frightened, for she was quite sure that the hut had seen her. So she tried to open the rickety gate in the fence. "'Oh! oog! squeaked the gate. It sounded just as if opening hurt its hinges. Without thinking what she was doing, Marusha felt in her pocket, and there at the very bottom was a little bottle of oil. She poured some oil into each hinge and went through the gate. As soon as she got into the yard she saw that a girl was standing there. She didn't look much older than Marusha. She was crying bitterly and when Marusha asked her who she was she said that she was Baba Yaga's servant and that the old witch had just pinched her black and blue in one of her wicked tempers. As she was crying and telling Marusha all this she was all the time trying to push the loose hair out of her eyes. Without thinking what she was doing, Marusha untied her little bundle, put what was left of the food she had brought into her apron pocket, and gave the nice red handkerchief to the poor little servant girl to tie around her head to keep the hair out of her eyes. The poor girl was so surprised at getting a present and kind words that she couldn't say thank you, but only made a little bob curtsy and smiled. On went Marusha, and just as she got to the door of the hut, a miserable, thin dog bounced out at her from a kennel and began to bark his head off. Without thinking what she was doing, Marusha fished in her pocket and pulled out a piece of bread. She gave it to the dog, who ate it as if he hadn't had anything to eat for days. And now, at last, Marusha had to knock at the door of the hut. "'Come in,' answered a grating voice. Marusha opened the door, and there, sure enough, she saw old Baba Yaga herself, iron teeth, bone legs, and all. She was sitting at a loom, weaving. As she wove, the loom made a noise. Ta-clack, ta-clack, ta-clack!' "'Good morning, Auntie,' said Marusha in her sweet voice. "'Good morning, my dear.' says horrid old bony legs. Stepmother has sent me to ask you for the loan of needles and thread to sew me a dress. I'll see what I can find, says the witch with a grin. Sit down at the loom and weave a little while I go and look. So the witch stood up and Marusha sat down. She began to work the loom, turclack, clack. And then Baba Yaga hobbled outside on her bony legs. Baba Yaga wasn't thinking about needles and threads, oh no. Marusha soon knew that when she heard what she said to the servant girl. Go and get sticks, light a fire, and heat the bath. Draw plenty of water and scrub my niece. Scrub her nice and clean, I'm going to eat her. But the servant girl didn't want to eat the bath, and she didn't want Marusha to be eaten, for Marusha had spoken kindly to her and given her a red handkerchief. Though she was afraid of the witch, she walked slowly, and as for getting on with making a good fire, she fetched only one stick at a time, and as for the bathwater well, she fetched that in a sieve. But Baba Yaga didn't notice this. She had begun to walk around the hut so as to listen and make sure that Marusha hadn't run away. "'Are you weaving, little niece?' she called out. "'Yes, Auntie, I'm weaving.' And weave she did, so that the loom went ter-clack, clack -clack. Presently Marusha looked up from her work and saw that a, a thin cat was sitting in the corner of the hut. Without thinking what she was doing, Marusha put one hand into her pocket and picked out a little bit of bacon. She threw it over to the thin cat, which ate it up in a twinkling. Then the cat stretched her paws and began to lick herself, saying to Marusha, "'Little girl, if you take my advice, you'll try to get out of here.' Just then Baba Yaga passed by the window. "'Are you weaving, little niece?' "'Yes, Auntie, I'm weaving,' answered Marusha again, and to clack to clack went the loom. They listened for a moment till Baba Yaga's footsteps had gone on. "'Here's a comb for you and a towel,' went on the cat softly. "'They aren't what you think. "'Try to get away, and if Baba Yaga chases you, throw the towel behind you. "'If she chases you again, throw down the comb.'" Thank you, cat, said Marusha, but how can I get out of here? If I stop weaving, she'll soon miss the t'clack, t'clack. She'll know that the loom has stopped. I'll see to that, answered the cat. Let me come where you are. So Marusha stood up and the cat sat down. T'clack, 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 went the loom. If that thin cat wasn't much good at weaving, she was a grand one for muddling everything about. You can hardly imagine the mess she made with Baba Yaga's threads. Warp and woof, woof and warp, all tangled and crossed up. The worse the muddle got, the more the cat smiled. As for Marusha, she slipped quietly out through a door at the other side of the hut and went through the gate. Baba Yaga came back, and again she listened below the window. Are you weaving, little niece? Yes, Auntie, I'm weaving, answered the thin cat in a squeaky voice trying to mimic Marusha. As it spoke, its claws were tangling every thread on the loom worse than ever. Soon old Baba Yaga came back into the hut. What was her fury when she saw that there was no Marusha weaving at the loom, only the thin cat making a dreadful mess? How dare you play me such a trick, shouted Baba Yaga to the cat in a rage. Long as I've served you, hissed the cat, you have never given me so much as a bone. But Marusha gave me bacon. Baba Yaga rushed out of the hut. There was the thin dog. Dog, why did you let her escape, shouted the witch. You should have barked and flown at her throat. Long as I've served you, growled the dog, you've never given me anything better than burnt black crust. But Marusha gave me a slice of white bread. The very first time she saw me, Baba Yaga rushed on. And first she shouted at the servant girl, and then at the squeaky hinges. But the servant girl said to her, Long as I have served you, you've never given me so much as a rag. But Marusha gave me a red handkerchief the first time she ever saw me. When she got such answers, Baba Yaga flew into a worse rage than ever. She gnashed her iron teeth, jumped into her mortar, and gave a terrific push with the pestle. Away she went, flying along in pursuit of Marusha. "'Nash, nash!' went her iron teeth. "'Clatter, clatter!' went her pestle. But Marusha had been running as fast as she could, and by this time she had got quite a long way down the path which led through the forest. All the time as she went she listened. Yes, something was coming she could hear. "'Nash, nash! Clatter, clatter!' "'That must be Baba Yaga!' thought Marusha to herself. I'd better do as the thin cat told me. So she threw down the towel. Almost before it touched the ground, the towel had become a wide river, a wide brimming river, and Marusha was on one side and Baba Yaga was on the other. The magic river was so wide that the old witch couldn't possibly cross it with one push of her pestle, so she had to come down to earth. Oh, how she gnashed her iron teeth with spite! However, Baba Yaga wasn't going to be beaten by a thin cat and a little girl. (laughs) She had a big barn full of oxen. She went quickly to it and drove all those oxen down to the river. They were so thirsty that as soon as they got there, they drank up every drop of water. Then Baba Yaga was able to make one hop of it, and like that, she and her mortar crossed over. All this time, Marusha had gone on running and was a lot farther away, but she wasn't far enough. Baba Yaga was soon able to catch her up. So fast did she travel in her mortar. When she saw how close the witch was, Marusha remembered the thin cat again and threw down the comb almost before it touched the ground. A huge new forest sprang up. The trees were much taller than the trees of the real forest, so tall and so close together that there was no way of getting through them or over them. But Baba Yaga set to work with her iron teeth and began to gnaw at the huge trees, but it was all in vain. However hard she worked, for one tree that she gnawed down, the magic forest grew two more. When she saw that, Baba Yaga knew that she was beaten at last, and went back in disgust. Meanwhile Marusha's father had come home to that. "'Where's Marusha?' he asked the stepmother. "'Oh, I've just sent the child to her aunt's to borrow needles and thread.' Just as she spoke, in rushed Marusha, quite out of breath, with her hair flying and her clothes all torn. When she saw her father, she threw herself sobbing into his arms. "'What's the matter with you?' asked her father. "'Oh, father, father!' sobbed Marusha. "'Stepmother sent me to auntie's to ask for needles and thread, "'but it was no auntie of mine. "'It was Baba Yaga. She meant to eat me.' "'How's this? How's this?' said the father, "'looking sternly over the girl's shoulder at the stepmother.' With that Marusha told her father the whole story about the hinges, the servant girl, the dog, and the thin cat. As she told the tale the stepmother soon began to see that it was all up, and before Marusha had finished she had slipped off and away into the forest. Whether she ever got to Baba Yaga's hut, or whether she was eaten by a bear, doesn't matter either to you or to me. What is certain is that not long afterwards the little servant girl, followed by the thin dog and the thin cat, came running down the forest path to Marusha's hut. Marusha and her father welcomed them, and neither they nor Marusha nor her father ever saw that bad stepmother or Baba Yaga again.
7: Arthur, where are you? Oh, there you are.
2: If you come over here, you'll find a wonderful surprise. You'll have to plug into the central computer to hear what it is. That's right. No,
10: it's not a phase vector. It's your Christmas present.
2: converter isn't complete yet. It isn't finished. Lock in your circuits again quickly.
10: Christmas
9: it wouldn't
0: be the holiday season without at least a little guilt so we have two finger-wagging carols to supply just that first we have Arlo Guthrie with a song he dedicated to the FBI agents that were spying on him at the time followed by a Tom Lear ditty about crass commercialism they might be a little preachy but they're still funny.
1: It's called The Pause of Mr. Claus. Why do you sit there so strange? Is it because you are beautiful? You must think you are deranged. Why do police guys beat on these guys? You must think Santa Claus weird He has long hair and a beard Giving his presents for
7: why do
1: police guys mess with these guys? Let's get Santa Claus, cause Santa Claus has a red suit, he's a communist. And a beard and long hair must be a pacifist. What's in the pipe that he's smoking? Mr. Claus sticks in your house at night. He must be a dope thing to put you up tight. Why do please guys be on these guys?
11: Time is here by golly Disapproval would be folly Deck the halls with hunks of holly Fill the cup and don't say when Kill the turkeys, ducks and chickens Mix the punch, drag out the dickens Even though the prospect sickens Brother, here we go again (laughs) On Christmas Day you can't get sore Your fellow man you must adore There's time to rob him all the more The other three hundred and a six A tea, a four Sparing no expenses Send some useless old utensil Or a matching pen and pencil Just the thing I need How nice It doesn't matter how sincere it is Nor how heartfelt the spirit Sentiment will not endear it What's important is The price Bark the Herald Tribune sings Advertising Wondrous things God rest ye merry merchants, may ye make the yuletide pay <laughs> Angels, we have heard on high Tell us to go out and buy so, let the raucous sleigh bells jingle Hail our dear old friend Kris Kringle Driving his reindeer across the sky don't stand underneath when they fly by. <laughs> Actually, I did rather well myself this past Christmas. The nicest present I received was a gift certificate, good at any hospital for a lobotomy. <laughs>
3: Eighteen year old college student Paula Weldon disappeared one crisp December day in nineteen forty six while hiking along a trail in a Vermont wood. She was seen on that trail by a couple, walking just a 100 yards behind her. That is until she turned a corner in the trail. When the couple rounded that same corner, she was nowhere to be seen. An extensive search was made when the girl was missed, but even with the help of the FBI, no trace of her was found and no trace has ever been found to this very
7: day.
2: I made it out of clay Oh dreidel, dreidel, dreidel Now dreidel I shall play It has a groovy body With legs so short and thin When it's very tired It drops and then I win Oh dradle, dradle, dreidel Legs so short and thin Oh, a dreidel, dreidel, dreidel It drops and then I win Neskadol hayyasham A great miracle happened there We light the candles for eight nights It's happened everywhere is playful it loves to dance and spin a swinging game of dread come on now let's begin It's happening.
4: Aunt,
6: son he's grown too powerful
7: ho ho ho
6: remember
10: when they took you to see santa at the mall they take your picture in his lap although you cried and bawled something strange about that guy it made your skin just crawl turns out you were right about the old man after all Cause Santa is a psycho, you knew it all the time. You'd seen him on a wanted poster for some heinous crime. Mom would reassure you, but that just made things worse when you noticed that his sleigh had been converted to a hearse. Why does he live all the way up there at the North Pole? Running from the law for violating his parole Voices in his head say On Christmas you must share So perhaps you'll get a finger bone or a lock of hair Yes, Santa is a psycho, you knew it all along That swastika tattoo tipped you off, something was wrong Mom never got close enough to smell his whiskey breath Or notice that his gloves and boots were made from human flesh He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. So don't go out alone on Christmas Eve, for God's sake. Oh, Santa is a psycho. His train has left the station. Lock up all the guns, cause he's off his medication. Forget about the kitty car or that electric train, dear. But here's a book about him called Silence of the Reindeer. Got past the razor wire at the state hospital You'd think with all those guards That would not be possible They found them in a ghastly scene All with a lifeless stare Their bodies were all hung by the chimney with care Cause Santa is a psycho Just as you suspected But here's what you can do to keep your family protected Have the cops round up all the Santas in your town And just to be safe All the Scoutmasters and Clowns Yes, just to be safe All the Scoutmasters and Clowns
3: And now it's time for six sinister St. Nick's of cinema and television. These very, very bad Santas don't need a Krampus or a Hans Trap to punish naughty children. They take a hands-on approach. And although there are surely other killer Kringles, these are the best of the worst. Well, so let's begin. James, what do we got to start with?
0: We're going to start things off with something light, but yet sinister if you think about <laughs> it. And that's the robot Santa Claus. From Futurama, they—they <laughs> they, uh, you know if you know Futurama, uh, a gentleman uh, named Fry falls into a cryogenic laboratory and freezes himself and and uh, wakes up uh, thousands of years later. So when when he wakes up, there's no longer Christmas; it's just Xmas. <laughs> so that's the first thing. And they've created a robot Santa Claus that was supposed to be. Uh, a more efficient way to, you know, figure out who was naughty or nice. But they, but what they did was they put the naughty meter a little bit level too high, and so he ends up having everybody be naughty, and he, like, murders them. <laughs> I mean, like, they do it really funny, but it's crazy. I mean, they're, he's shooting people and, and uh, blowing up things, and he's got, like, Santa missile launchers and Santa grenades and, like, you know, uh, one of his things is, uh, one of his lines are... You dare bribe Santa? I'm gonna shove coal so far up your <laughs> stocking you'll be coughing up diamonds. <laughs> oh, so there So he comes in in uh, three or four different episodes, actually. So uh, he's in the Xmas story. That's the first one, and I think that's in the second season. And uh, the fourth season, there's a there's a uh, a tale of two Santas, and then uh, he's in. Bender's Big Score, which was the season where they came back and they only had the the movies. Oh, so yeah. there was four movies. So they got they consider that a season. So it's he's in Bender's Big Score and in Bender's Big Score, uh, you know the the nudists take over the world and they're going to destroy it and they 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 stole Santa's robot Santa's naughty list to uh, <laughs> uh for to make money or whatever. So Santa teams up with the crew to try to get. To save uh, the world, <laughs> so he can destroy it. That's the that's his thing. Nice, like Godzilla. Yeah, um, he's also in the holiday special, and that's that's a funny episode because so there's three different parts of it. Ones with ones with the uh, robot Santa, ones with QuanzaBot, and ones with <laughs> <laughs> and ones with Hanukkah Zombie. <laughs> Are those his friends? Or yeah. What is it? Well, and they but they each have a story. They're like the ten, you know, seven minutes each. And uh, everyone ends with the whole world being destroyed, <laughs> or or at least uh, at least the whole crew being killed. And one, one the... ends with the whole.
3: <laughs> this is like their Halloween thing, like the same. Yeah, season. but it's
0: for Christmas. Uh... <laughs> and so, uh, anyways, uh, robot uh, Santa Claus lives on Neptune, and he his, the Neptunians are the uh, uh, the North Pole of Neptune, and Neptunians are his elves. And they're like his slaves. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And They live in like Jolly Junction, but it's not jolly. It's all like got holes riddled through the houses. He's been shooting at them, and the uh, the the uh, the factories all you know no <laughs> no uh, no workers' rights and all this. They make some jokes about that, but. It is really, when you think about it, it's super harsh because he's like <laughs> destroying things, and especially in the in the in the holiday special, like he ends up murdering everybody <laughs> and, and, and destroying the whole crew. So that's pretty it's, sinister. Yeah. So it's definitely on the sinister list, even though it's funny as hell. It is sinister.
3: Very nice. Well, our second one is the actually the Santa Claus from Rare Exports, and that was a Finnish film. It's from two thousand and ten. And uh, it's the Santa in this version is a horned monster and he's trapped in his block of ice and where the uh, old Sami people that lived there, like in Lampland, they trapped him in ice and then buried him in, this, in the world's largest burial mound. And it's so big that the locals all think that it's actually a mountain. And this takes place, of course, a thousand years or whatever later um, when a bunch of English... Um, an english expedition to dig at it i think only the leader knows that maybe there's a santa the santa legend is there and um so they start digging in this place and and the people in the village next to it kind of notice uh the trouble that's there um and the Sami people originally they trapped santa because he was he was of course this big horror that would uh beat children and maybe boil them or worse (laughs) and so and he's like 30 feet tall so um and then this santa has a bunch of help from his creepy elves and they look like these naked old emaciated men and they got these long beard with jauntissy eyes and at first the villagers because they see explosions so they actually you know they release these things out and the first thing they did was kill all the reindeer at this village. So there's there, these guys are wiped out. They know they're, um, you know, they're not going to have food for the rest of the year. And uh, also these elves, they begin uh, capturing the children, replacing of these weird wicker <laughs> figures that the people would discover underneath the blankets. Oh, so they're man. very creepy. It's hideous. The the these things, and it becomes sort of like a race because. All these heating elements go missing, you know, from the area, and when they finally get to the place, they see that they're trying to thaw out Santa Claus, basically, and um, so it's pretty hideous. And it is a dark comedy, but the comedy doesn't come until later. Part of the thing is that all these elves are like Santas; um, they, you can throw them off the scent by having ginger snaps. You know, they smell it. You gotta toss it to them. You can lead them away. And, uh, uh, also when the, when the guy, the only guy who knows what's going on is this English guy. When they finally getting down to where they're going to be digging him out, he says, okay, here's the new safety precautions. And it's like, no swearing, don't smoke. It's all the stuff that makes you naughty that the Santa might attack you for. And, uh, and then the ending is very funny. I won't give it away, but you'll have to all see that. So, um, you You can't really tell Santa. You don't get a good look at him, but that makes it scary because it's like, what is this huge hideous monster that's out there? So that makes him a very, very sinister Santa. So he makes the list there. And what's the next one, James?
0: The next one uh, from me is uh, it's an episode of American Horror Story, and it's during the Asylum season, which is the second season, and it's Ian McShane of uh, Deadwood fame, and then also, I mean, a bunch of movies, but he's in Hot Rod as the dad, you know. And okay. So, if, if you've seen either <laughs> of those. Right? <laughs> so, or the stepdad, anyways. Uh, and, and this is really sinister. Uh, Ian McShane plays Lee Emerson, and he's a, a um, they do a series of flashbacks, and he's also locked up in the asylum and uh he through flashbacks you you find out that uh to get himself locked up he he like murders a uh you know a Salvation Army Santa in the front and takes his suit and then ends up going into this these people's house and like a a little kid finds him and and he starts talking to him it's all crazy and She's like, are you hurt, Santa? And he's like, oh, no, that's not my blood. <laughs> don't oh. worry about me. It's very serious. And then he's like, oh, can you take me to your folks? And he, like, ties them up and murders them. <laughs> oh. And uh, and then, so he's locked up, and they don't have anything. Uh, you know, they, they're like he's in solitary. So if you don't know the story, the, the asylum's run by nuns and and a priest, a monsignor. And, and uh, their sister... Uh, Mary Eunice, and she's like the, the novice or the new, you know, pure, like a uh, good person. She actually gets uh, taken over by the devil, possessed by the devil. <laughs> of course. Right. Yeah, they have aliens in this, episode, oh, this thing my too. Goodness. It's crazy. Um, and then Jessica Lang plays Sister Jude, and she's like the hard-ass... Uh, that beats everybody or whatever, but she really—I think it's truthfully—she knows what's going on. To, <laughs> she keeps people in check, man. And uh, so, anyways, sister, uh, sister Eunice, i.e., the devil because she's possessed, <laughs> uh, finds a Santa Claus suit and unleashes uh, Ian McShane on uh, on the crowd, and and he attacks one of the the uh, guards, and then he gets thrown in, you know. Uh, he gets thrown in solitary, and well, that's just her to, her version of getting him riled up. So she goes in there and she releases him again, and then she sticks him in there with uh, with uh, 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 Sister Jude to have her kill him.
3: Jessica Lang. Yes, oh.
0: Jessica Lang to have him kill her, and uh, he he attacks uh, he attacks her and finds the whips that she beat him with and starts whipping <laughs> her and going crazy and and. Uh, and he ends up, uh, she ends up sticking a letter opener in, her, in his neck. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. And uh, needless to say, it is crazy. The one thing that uh, uh, we find out and uh, um, later on is, or during the middle of the thing, is how, why he's so bitter on Christmas. And its and its sister, uh, Eunice, whispers in his ear, I know why you're... You're bitter on Christmas. It's because he's been locked up as a petty criminal when he was a youth, and like five guys, uh, you know, attacked him and molested uh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. On Christmas, you know, all
0: this crazy thing on Christmas, and uh, yeah, so it, it, he's definitely sinister and definitely bloodthirsty. Very
3: good. Well, we'll stop and take a shower after that one. <laughs> but I guess none of these actually are that uh, tasteful. Because the next one we're doing is Santa's Sleigh. It's the Santa from that. And that uh, film opens with uh, Santa slaughtering this whole dysfunctional family who are all played by celebrities. He smashes through a fireplace and he does his ninja roll, And he takes knives and pins James Caan, his hand, to the table. And he has to watch as he sets uh, Fran Drescher's hair on fire and drowns her in a <laughs> punch bowl. And then he kicks... Uh, um, Chris Catan and snaps him into some cabinets. And then uh, Rebecca Gayhart gets her head smashed in. And then uh, Alicia Levins gets a, a star on her back because he uses the Christmas stars like a ninja star and stabs her. <laughs> and that's before the credits. <laughs> and so what you find out in this version is that Santa's actually the Antichrist. And uh, and he, he picked Christmas Day because it's the Lord's Day to, to just to be uh, stick it to all things good by calling it a day of slaughter and killing people until this one angel came down and disguised himself as an old man and had a bet with them that it for um, curling he had a curling competition with him. <laughs> and whoever won the curling competition if the old man lost he'd have to go to hell and if this antichrist lost. He would have to give out presents for a thousand years. Why he didn't say forever, I don't know. So, and then they, as the credits go, they show him in the different illustrations of you see Samnith throughout the years, including the 1800s, and you look and you could tell, you know, all those kind of look creepy and you realize, oh yeah, he really hated it. You see the grimace in his face as he's passing out presents. And then it comes to 2005, which is the thousand years, and so it's up. And he's come back, and you don't really know why, to this little town of hell. That's where he's starting it. And uh, he starts off by getting rid of uh, what you call the naughty people, but then he just goes into, you know, everything. So he, uh, you know, he burns down a strip joint, and then he kills some poor guy, a delicatessen, by stabbing him to the wall with his own menorah. And um, he really has a pretty big rampage. Uh, he's played by the pro wrestler Bill Goldberg, who does a great job. He's all muscly, and he's exactly the kind of hideous <laughs> person you need for this. So, this is definitely a very sinister... He's the Antichrist! How much more sinister can you get? <laughs> but we're going to try. What's the next one, James?
0: The next one is a Dutch film that, uh, they call it Saint, but uh, it's just basically Saint. And, uh, it's the story of St. Nicholas as, as the true story of St. Nicholas. And, and, and <laughs> as of course there, St. Nicholas Day is, is December 5th. Yeah. So this all circles around December 5th and it, it circles around also uh, every full moon, which is about 36 years, St. Nicholas comes back to wreak revenge on, wreak havoc on, on, on the town and it, what you find out in the backstory is that saint nicholas is not a good person he's a terrible person and he went around with a horde of people murdering people and raping people <laughs> and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and the villagers killed him and, and uh and it uh, un- through some unholiness <laughs> he got a chance to come back every 36 years and and cause havoc so uh at one point, uh, you know, December fifth. Uh, <laughs> at one point in the story, the little kid's telling, or the you know, a man is telling the little kid. He goes, "Don't you realize it's not his birthday? It's the day he was murdered." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he goes on to you know kills. It's it's a it's a hideous film because it's a, a, they show some children being murdered and some other things that that normally American. Yes, would, would shy would, away would from. shy away from so if you're into that kind of thing I guess
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey doesn't he have the, an army of black peats to the, help him out the
0: Dutch offer you that yeah and that's that's so those are the those are the um those are the you know his henchmen like the are they that, like
3: demons or what is it or are they the ghost of all his henchmen
0: yeah and I think that's what what, oh, what okay. it is is that you know they the you know they they destroyed everybody when they they did it the you know, 500 years in the past or whatever. Very right? nice. I'm going to have to check that one out. I've never seen it. He destroys people. And and if you see, interesting note, if you see the, uh, like a trailer or any kind of a thing, you know, of course it's in Dutch. So some of the trailers that I saw are like so poorly dubbed that it's like hideous, but the thing is like a comedy because <laughs> it's so such terrible dialogue. I don't know who the hell did it, but it's crazy because they'd be like, no. You need to go over here. You're like, what? Why are you
3: doing this? You know, it's it's nice. crazy.
0: But yes, very sinister.
3: All right. Well, now we have our last one, and for last one, we're going to go to a classic. It's another guy from an asylum. It, it, this one's a serial killer Santa, and he first appeared in the March 1954 10 cents comic of Vault of Horror, and then went on to the movie Tales from the Crypt in 1972, and finally to the TV show in June of 1989, uh, The Tales from the Crypt. And uh, this is a pretty horrible Santa, a demented Santa that chops up women and carries around their remains in a sack. I don't know if they make that clear in everything but the comic, but. Um, and it's, it's the episode called, In All Through the House. And it all the different stories, the comic and all the movie and the TV show, it all begins like you see this beautiful house and Christmas music and you see a man sitting down and in the, in the tv version he's kind of a grumbly grump but in the movie he's like this great guy he's writing a gift to like to my the best wife in the world and then he sits down and then his wife chops him in the head with the poker and kills him and in all the versions part of the reason she does it is that she wants you know his insurance money so She's going to drag him outside with the kids upstairs and she's trying to keep her away and get her to sleep. She drags the body upstairs and I'm not sure, but in at least the TV version, she's outside and doesn't hear in the radio that they're announcing an escaped man from an asylum is dressed in a Santa suit (laughs) and he's off, you know, causing havoc, murdering women. And of course she runs into him and the whole thing is her trying to get away And, and then she gets a bright idea, hey, I'll put an axe in the head of my husband and just blame it on the the Santa Claus and the, the Santa Claus in the um, movie version is uh, Oliver McCreevy and he's just this he was in Flash Gordon <laughs> by the way in other movies he had this bizarre weird uh, blank old man face sort of pervy looking and then the the, um, the one in uh, the TV show version was the guy from Ellie LA Law, and he was also in Darkman. His name is Larry Drake. And, uh, yeah, he was the villain in Darkman. He was the Benny Solowitz in the character in the L.A. Law. And in his, he is like the snaggletooth, uh, strange-looking, uh, you know, all dirty, crazy-looking old man. And that's pretty much like it was in the comics. So anyway, in, in all the versions, the 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 woman gets it. The little girl opens it up and, look, Santa, let him in. And then, of course. Because she locks them. They
0: lock all the. She finally gets Santa locked out of the house. And then, yeah.
3: Uh, and then she remembers that the window's open in the one version. And she runs upstairs. And daughter's gone. She goes downstairs. Oh, I'm okay. And look, I let him in. And she had the door wide open then. And in the comic and in the TV show, she's just screaming and screaming. They really did a good job in the TV show. It looks just like the comic page. But uh, in um, the movie, he just run, chases after her with that blank look on his face and strangles her. And you can't see the little girl, but you pretty much know that he strangles her right in front of the little girl. So she's going to have to live the rest of her life knowing that she let the murder in well, her it might mom. be a short... Live. It might be. They kind of, in all the versions, make it like he only likes to kill grown-up women and not kids. They kind of take that curse off. But it's not anyway, that sinister. The kid's are going to be <laughs> messed up. Don't have a father. The mother's murdered. Probably blame herself for it. So, there you have it. So, there's your six Sinister Santas. And be sure to watch for them this Christmas. I advise you to stay nice and keep a bear trap by the fireplace. Amen to that.
5: singing ho-ho-ho. He's spending
12: every summer in the sanatorium. This mercenary
5: Christmas gig is making him sick. We gotta medicate him, get him into therapy, quick. He's frustrated from looking for a change in career. He's got Given Without getting that, it feels like a sad, sick, greedy Christmas list and kids who pee in his lap. Oh. Santa's got the blues, singing ho, ho, hum. He's spending
12: every summer in the sanatorium. Those visions of sugar crumbs are driving him wild. The next kid on his lap better be his inner child santa found an analyst who's into gestalt she told him the world's avarice was not all his fault but santa's feeling insecure so sad and adrift he's scared that no one's gonna love him unless he gives them a gift santa's got the blues singing ho 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 he's spending summer in the sanatorium a bundle of toys he had flung on his back talked in his sleigh a big jar jar of prozac Santa started talking about ending it all. So his therapist arranged a family conference call. Mrs. Claus said, come on, Santa. It's not as bad as you fear. Why, after all, you only work for one night out of the whole year. And while you and the reindeer are out there enjoying yourselves, well, I'm
5: stuck here cleaning up after hundreds of elves.
13: Got the blues. How come nobody ever oh, gives me a present? It's got the, blues. the lines at Walmart are killing me. Oh, oh.
5: It's got the blues.
13: You wouldn't believe my veterinary bills. Oh, oh, oh. You try getting a reindeer oh, oh, through customs. Santa's got the blues
12: singing ho ho hum. He's spending every summer in the sanatorium. This mercenary Christmas gift. Gotta medicate him, get him into therapy quick.
0: Here's a Hanukkah song from Arlo's father, Woody Guthrie. Following that, the Kwanzaa song from Billy Paul Williams.
13: Tip tap toe happy Hanukkah, around you go. My little latke on your toes, happy Hanukkah, and around and around you go. Clap your hands, happy Hanukkah, clap, clap hands, my little Strudler on your toes, happy Hanukkah, and around and around you go. Jump real high, happy Hanukkah, jump, jump high, my little fruit cake on your toes, happy Hanukkah, and around and around you go. Run, run fast, happy Hanukkah, run, 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 my little sugar pie on your toes, happy Hanukkah, and around and around you go. Hop, 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 happy Hanukkah, hippity hop, my little shindle on your toes, happy Hanukkah, round and around you go. Tip-tap-toe, happy honekey around you go, Happy Honeykey on your toes, happy honickey, round and around you go. Tip-tap-toe, happy honekey around you go, My little hotkey on your toes, happy honickey, round and around you go.
12: Kwanzaa is the time of light, a glowing candle every night. A time to show how much we care about the things we share. A time to think about
14: And now let's call in Eddie Lebanski. Eddie, you're the only man on the Stroh's
15: team who uses a two-fingered ball. Now, do you recommend a two-fingered ball? Well, Fred, I have tried a two-fingered ball and a three-fingered ball, but I have had more success with a two-fingered ball. I would say you've had a lot of success with a two-fingered ball, Eddie. How does your bowling ball roll? My ball rolls outside the thumb hole, which is called a semi-roller. How many steps in your delivery? I take five steps, Fred. Eddie, are you a spot bowler or a pin bowler? Neither, Fred. I am an imaginary line bowler. In other words, I try to pick out imaginary line in my mind from the head pin to the foul line where I want my ball to roll. Eddie, which of these methods would you recommend to a beginner? Well, I would recommend pin bowling, Fred. And after a year or more, then the bowler should have enough knowledge to start picking an imaginary line or spots on the alley. Let's get back to your game. What do you concentrate on the most when bowling? Well, Fred, I try to concentrate on where I want my ball to roll. But my biggest point of concentration is when I take the ball off the rack and set myself up with the ball in my hands, as before I release the ball. Let's turn to etiquette briefly,
14: Eddie. What part does etiquette play in bowling today?
15: Well, I think etiquette is a very important factor, Fred. It, It can make the game very enjoyable. Things that annoy all of us are when someone on an adjoining alley goes up to the foul line when we do, or when they bend over to pick up a ball on the return rack when we are addressing the pins. Now, I have a question, Eddie. Does it help you to
14: take a lot of extra time, or do you feel that you can bowl better by bowling
15: faster? Well, Fred, uh, I think taking too much time can be very troublesome. And also, hurrying up to the line or hurrying up yourself can be very troublesome also. We should try to strike a happy medium.
14: Now let's talk about slide and release. I'm sure that you'll agree both slide and release are vitally important links in the chain of things that make up a sound delivery. You certainly have a sound delivery. Eddie, tell us how the slide and the release should be properly executed.
15: Well, Fred, the slide should be entered into very easily, ending from one to four inches from the fall line. The release should be effortless and unhurried applying a lifting action when the ball is pitched about two feet out on the alley.
14: Well, we're sure learning a lot of things about bowling, aren't we? That was Eddie Lebanski making his contribution to our bowling education.
3: On December 4th, 1872, the British-American merchant ship Mary Celeste was found east of the Azores, bobbing along at half-sail towards the Strait of Gibraltar. When boarded, it was discovered that the captain, his wife, daughter, and the seven crew members had vanished. So had a lifeboat. The cargo and the crew's belongings were all still there, though, and in good order. So was a month's worth of food and supplies. The wheel had been left unlashed as if the ship had been abandoned in a hurry. What drove the Mary Celeste's passengers to leave a seaworthy and well-provisioned boat is just another icy December mystery.
16: you later for my cousin Claude. I got high fidelity, high fidelity, and a unit board. I hold it when my arms get bored. I got shirts and ties, the latest yet. I got my oldest buddy, a denim gift set. I got a music center, that's a pleasure to receive. Got Mara television, so small she what?
3: Christmas Day. In December of 1990, Kevin and Bean over at Los Angeles' K-Rock radio station arranged for some of the Twin Peaks cast to record their version of The Twelve Days of Christmas. By this time, the Laura Palmer storyline was pretty much tied up and the writing was on the wall for the show. But before any of us or any of these cast members knew their future, they gave us this.
4: On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two secret diaries and a body dead, wrapped in plastic. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three possessed souls, two secret diaries and a body dead, wrapped in plastic. Diane, on the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four talking logs, three possessed souls, two secret diaries, and a body, dead, wrapped in plastic.
12: On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five jelly donuts.
4: Four talking logs, three possessed souls, two secret diaries, and a body, dead plastic on the 6th day of christmas my sweetheart gave to me six fish in a percolator Five jelly donuts four talking logs three possessed souls two secret diaries and a body dead wrapped in plastic on the 7th day of christmas my true love gave to me seven one-armed men six fish in a percolator four. Jelly donut. Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries. And a body dead, wrapped in plastic.
10: Diane, on the eighth day of Christmas,
4: I had a strange dream. Eight dancing midgets. Seven one-armed men. Six fish in a percolator.
12: Five, oh, shoot, four, five jelly donuts. Sorry. Oops.
4: Four talking logs. Three possessed souls. Two secret diaries And a body Dead Wrapped in plastic On the ninth day of Christmas My true love gave to me Nine owls lurking Eight dancing midgets Seven one-armed men Six fish and a percolator
12: Five jelly donuts
4: Four talking logs Three possessed souls Two secret diaries And a body Dead Wrapped in plastic on the tenth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Ten drooling leos Nine owls Eight dancing midgets Seven one-armed men Six fish in a percolator
12: Five jelly donuts
4: Four talking logs Three possessed souls Two secret diaries And a body dead wrapped in plastic
12: on the eleventh day of christmas my true love gave to me eleven cherry pies ten jolene
4: leo nine owls oh, clucking eight dancing midgets seven one-armed men six fish and a percolator five jelly donuts four talking logs three possessed souls two secret diaries and a body dead wrapped in plastic on the 12th day of Christmas, my sweetheart gave to me 12 cups of coffee. 11 cherry pies. 10 Jolene Leo, 9 Owls 8 dancing midgets. 7 one-armed men. 6 fish and a percolator. 5 dozen donuts. <laughs> what? 4 talking logs. 3 possessed souls. 2 secret diaries. And a body. Dead.
14: Wrapped in plastic.
11: Amen. Amen.
3: Mr. James Tedford vanished from a crowded bus on December 1st, 1949. He was a veteran who lived in a soldier's home in Bennington, Vermont, and had been visiting relatives in St. Albans. According to his fellow passengers, Tedford got on the bus in St. Albans, slept a little, and was still on the bus at the last stop before Bennington. Somewhere between that last spot, In Bennington, he went missing. The bus arrived at its destination, but Tedford was gone. All that remained were his belongings, and on his seat, an open bus timetable. No one has ever seen James Tedford again. Well, it's come to that time again, the end of our podcast. But we have one more item for you tonight. James, what is it? Well,
0: I think most people have heard in the news that it's Frank Sinatra's 100th birthday, but most people might not have heard that it's also Rudyard Kipling's uh, 150th birthday. And uh, as fate would have it, they mashed together in one glorious night in 1959 when Frank Sinatra recorded live in Australia with the Red Norvo Quintet, and he's a fabulous vibraphone player, if you don't know him. on the Road to Mandalay. Uh, and uh, its uh, it speaks for itself. I'm going to let Frank explain its origin. And uh, it's best to just go out with Frank explaining this. It's great. And it's not me, Frank. It's THE Frank.
3: Frank Sinatra. So this is Uncle Frank. And this is Jimmy Sweets. And Greg, in absentia, says hello too. So have a good month and see you next time.
17: Thank you very much. I don't know the words of Chicago. I really don't. I really don't. We'd like to do a song for you We'd like to do a song for you that I don't believe you've heard, because in the album, "Come, this takes us just a second to explain it. But before I do, I'd like to, to have you join me in rewarding our uh, wonderful orchestra, a Red Novo, and my pianist, Mr. Bill Miller. A wonderful show that they played. <laughs> this particular song was uh, uh, written from the poem by Rudyard Kipling. Now it seems that we have done a rather different version of. Road to Mandalay, so that his family has objected. And in anywhere in the British Empire, it's not to be played on the record. So they took it off the long playing record of Come Fly With Me, and they replaced it with Chicago. That's how you happen to hear Chicago. And I made that one day when I was, I was drinking or something, so I don't know the words now, so it's, forget it. But this is an unusual version of Road to Mandalay. It's, it's comedic, but it swings, it jumps. and. Uh, I think that Rudyard Kipling's sister was chicken, not the lettuce put on
13: <laughs> By
17: the old moon main pagoda <clears throat> looking eastward to the sea. There's a Burma broad a sittin' and I know she's got a yen for me. The wind is in those palm trees and the temple bells they say Come you back you British soldier Come you back to Mandalay Come you back to Mandalay Come you back to Mandalay Mandalay, Where the old flotilla lay can't you hear their paddles chunking from Rangoon to Mandalay on the road to Mandalay where the flying fishes play and the dawn comes up like thunder out of China across the bay. me somewhere east of Suez where the best is just like the worst and there ain't no 10 commandments and a guy he can raise a thirst and those crazy bells keep ringing cause it's there that i long to be by the old moon main pagoda looking eastward to the sea Looking eastward to the sea, I come yo back to Mandalay, where the old flotilla lay. Can't you hear their paddles chunking? from Rangoon to Mandalay on the road to Mandalay, where the flying fishes play. And the dawn comes up like
8: thunder.